From Spotify Studios, this is Dissect, long-form musical analysis broken into short, digestible episodes. I'm Cole Kushner. And I'm Titi Shodia. Welcome to a special episode of the Dissect Podcast. I am here in New Orleans with the co-host of season six of Dissect, Titi Shodia. How are you doing, Titi? I'm good. How are you? I'm a little... We were just talking. My voice is a little strained because we mm-hmm. went out to a, a dinner last night that was a little loud, really busy. So, um, that, But yeah, no, That's it's how good. old we are. The, yeah. we're t- <laughs> we're, our voices are tired from just having a dinner yeah. together. <laughs> Not yeah, partying exactly. in New Orleans, yeah, exactly. just talking over <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so we'll get into why we're here in New Orleans. Like none of, neither you or I live here, but we've kind of mm-hmm. traveled here to meet together and um, kind of Lemonade and Beyonce bringing us together in that respect. But um, yeah, I just wanted to do a more of a conversational podcast with you to kind of introduce you to the audience of Dissect. Um, by this point, they've heard you on a f- probably a few episodes. Um, we haven't launched the season as we're recording this, but um, yeah, likely I've heard you a, you know, a couple episodes now, mm-hmm. and that's all great, but also wanted to kind of showcase who you are a little bit more so people can really get to know you beyond just your voice on the podcast. Yeah. So um, yeah, so we're going to kind of just talk over who you are and your background, how we met, um, then we're going to talk a little bit more generally about Beyonce and Lemonade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll get into why we're here uh, in New Orleans and kind of describe our experience and what we've been doing the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'll just toss it to you, I guess, to um, just introduce who you are. Give us a little bit about your background, because I think most people aren't going to really be familiar with kind of your extensive background. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we'll kind of go over how we met. But, yeah, so... Tell us a little about yourself. Okay. Well, I'm Titi Shodia, and I am a first-generation African-American. My parents are from West Africa. My mother's from Ghana. My father's from Nigeria. Um, My educational background is that I got a bachelor's in material science and engineering and a minor in mathematics um, from Penn State. And then I went on to grad school where I got a Ph.D., in um, mechanical engineering and material science, and also a master's in electrical and computer engineering. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's say, let's, so I don't know what any of that means. So, <laughs> so let's give the listeners a little bit of context about kind of what that means. Like material science, I guess, probably is your specialty. So what's that kind yes. of detail about? So Um, Growing up, I always thought I wanted to be a chemist because I was really interested in like the composition of things. Mm. Uh, But I think material science, it it takes it kind of a step further into practical applications of chemistry. So like if you think of really anything that you interact with, uh, there was probably a material scientist that was involved in it. So Mm. even something like these microphones that we're talking into um, there was probably an acoustics engineer that worked on it, but a materials engineer would probably design like kind of like the metal grading and like, oh, what it's made of yeah. um, to make sure that it um, works optimally. Mm. Um, I worked with nanomaterials. So you can, you, you don't find a lot of uh, nanomaterials in a lot of things, but uh, 
in everyday things. You can find it in lotion and makeup and things like that. Um, and choosing the correct materials so that things work at their at the highest level mm. for whatever application that you are using it for. Yeah. So like even things like a seatbelt, how it's woven together oh, yeah. and the material that they use so that if you are in an accident, it doesn't just like snap or break and yeah. it stays like together. Mm. Those are materials engineering yeah. feats. Yeah. All the stuff like people like me would probably never think about, but I get, I would imagine your view of the world is much different than mine or most people's. Cause you're kind of, I would assume like you're kind of, yeah, you take a different, perspective on like what exactly is it's probably how the way that I listen to music is the way that yes. you look at like objects and stuff absolutely yeah. like when even in our short <laughs> conversations that we have about music I'm like oh wow like you are definitely a scientist when it comes to mm. that and an engineer when it comes to that because yeah. I mean you think of it on levels that I never thought of it yeah yeah and that was kind of the interesting thing about um kind of why I wanted to work with you like I really like that different perspective, like we were kind of talking about yesterday. Mm. <clears throat> like for me, dissect is an approach. It's like it's specifically approach to music, but the dissect process is really a universal process of like, here's this one thing and let's like really dig into it. Mm -hmm. Like let's peel back the layers. Let's like find the materials, you right. know, that are making up this piece that we kind of, you know, someone like you just kind of will, will, listen to and enjoy. Mm -hmm. But if someone like me is able to kind of decompose the lyrics and tell people why you enjoy it, why is it resonating so mm -hmm. much? Here's the, the specific techniques. And I was really interested in like trying, you know, I could, I could have got another musician to work with on dissect, but that doesn't really interest me because, mm -hmm. you know, I wanted the kind of the di dynamic and diverse perspective. Um, even outside the, the gender and the racial stuff, it mm -hmm. was like more about, yeah, it was just really interesting to me just to have also this like more scientific approach to mm -hmm. it too. Yeah. So we can talk a little bit about how we met, but maybe let's talk about your podcast first. So really how I found you uh, in the beginning was your great podcast called Dope Labs. Yes. Dope Labs is a podcast that I have with one of my best friends. Her name is Zakia Watley. We met when we were in grad school, when we were both struggling and depressed all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, our friendship definitely brought us a lot of joy yeah. and we had a lot of fun. And one of the things that we really loved doing was explaining our research to each other because she has a PhD in genetics, which I know nothing about mm -hmm. like the biological sciences and she doesn't really know much about engineering. And so we loved um, talking to each other about our work. And then we also loved talking to people like at the bar about our work. And when we would go out, we would find that people, when they found out that we were PhD students, that they really wanted to ask a lot of the questions that they've had, like what felt like their whole lives yeah. that did, they didn't get answers for. And they would ask us questions like, you know, what is buoyancy? I don't really get that. <laughs> like, and things like that. Yeah, neither and do I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, we would find like really fun ways to take sometimes very complex scientific uh, uh, ideas and communicate it to them in a way that they could understand. And so uh, at one point we said, oh, you know, we should this we could do a podcast, you know, because yeah. it was this was before, you know, all the podcasts. Yeah, around. Yeah. Everybody was saying they wanted a podcast. Yeah, yeah. 
And then we ended up applying for SoundUp, which is a Spotify uh, sponsored program. And 18,000 people applied. We were chosen as finalists. And then we were one of the three winners at the end. So we got some money to start. Mm. And then Dope Labs was born. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's another thing that interests me, too, is like, it's like it was kind of a kindred spirit in terms of like what Dope Labs is doing and mm-hmm. what Dissect is doing, which is essentially the same thing. Taking you guys are taking scientific topics, finding a common entry point, usually pop culture reference mm-hmm. to like get into this, you know, educational aspect of the show, but doing it in a way that applies to everyone that everyone can understand. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's really what I'm trying to do with Dissect is like, here's music that you love that you listen to all the time. Here's why you love it here's the technical, here's some of the technical things of why you love it and how all of these pieces essentially fit together to create this larger thing. So I think that was also another um, kind of reason, like, you know, to be honest, like I don't really know the moment, like when I thought of you, cause I was, you know, I was looking for someone to bring in. I knew I wanted to co-host this season. Um, it was kind of just the next step kind of the next evolution of the show. Like last season we had Femi as the co-writer who did an amazing job. Um, and I thought I wanted to do something similar for this season. I love what Femi brought to the table, but I also wanted to take that a step further and get another voice on the show. Um, and lemonade as we're going to talk about is so obviously rooted, uh, in an experience that is not mine that I thought it was equally important to get another voice on the show specifically for this season. Um, so yeah, I was like, I was trying to think about like the the moment that I thought of you, but really, we, I guess we we met first at. So I listened to Dope Labs um, since the first episode, really, um, and I was always a fan. I, I loved that I was with Spotify because I'm also with Spotify, and then we got to meet um, pretty briefly. But we met in where was that? Palm Springs. Palm Springs. Palm Springs. Yeah. So Spotify had like a, I don't know what they call it, an offsite. Yeah. So you know, there was like this kind of meeting central meeting place where a lot of the employees in our department came and, and did some activities and you guys dope labs was uh, you and Zakir were like the featured speakers. Yeah. Kind we had of, a panel. panel. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So I was like, Oh shit, they're here. Like I definitely got to introduce myself. So I introduced myself at lunch mm-hmm. briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you said that you had listened to dissect before. Um, so that was cool. Um, yeah, and then like I you're making I, it seem like I was cool about it. I was like, <laughs> I am such a big fan. I'm such a big fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That was, so that's cool. You're wearing a dissect hat, I remember, because mm-hmm. we're giving out dissect mm-hmm. hats there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so when I was like kind of searching around for pre- people to bring in, as soon as I thought of you, I was like, oh, perfect. Like, and I didn't even really know why, but like I just knew it was going to work, and I think we kind of talked about this yesterday, but like when you listen to someone's podcast, like you kind of feel like you know them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I've been listening to you guys for so long that <clears throat> I just kind of like trusted you from the get go. And I kind of knew your approach and your tone and, and everything like that. So, um, yeah, that's really why I reached out. And then like, that's why how fast forward a few months and that's how we are here. But, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think, um, we can kind of go into getting into Beyonce a little bit. I wanted to start with, um, just like your relationship with Beyonce, like when did you start listening to her? What your kind of general thoughts are about her and her kind of evolution over the years, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, Beyonce is someone who I don't even remember life without Beyonce. Mm, Yeah. It's hard to even 
like conceptualize that there was a time in my life that Beyonce was not out and making music. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like she's been ever present. Um, but Destiny's Child was like huge yeah. for for me and my sisters and my friend group growing up um, because, you know, they were a black female group and they were really kind of like breaking a lot of barriers, it felt like, because mm -hmm. they were not just doing R&B. They were also doing they were also being featured with rappers yeah. and things like that. And they were just taking performing to a next to the next level mm -hmm. where um, I think prior to to Destiny's Child, a lot of um, black female groups, they weren't really dancing and singing, mm -hmm. but they took like performance to like a ne the next level, which I really enjoyed. Um, when Beyonce split off from Destiny's Child, it didn't even feel like a, a breakup. Like some bands, you, f you feel like it's it's like awful. Yeah. Um, I feel like everybody knew that Beyonce would eventually uh, branch off, but I don't think anybody could have anticipated that Beyonce would have become Beyonce, yeah, 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 like yeah. who she is now, where Beyonce, it's like, no one can name their child Beyonce. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> It's over yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> like, if you name your child Beyonce, that's a bold move. <laughs> and that, that child yeah. will probably not live up to that name, yeah, yeah. and that's going to be sad. Yeah. Um, it's like naming your child Madonna or something. Yeah, right. Like she's an icon. Yeah. And uh, I feel like every album that comes out, I'm never disappointed. Mm. And there's always so much range. And you could see like her growing e with each stage like yeah. of her life from going from being, you know, a teenager to being a woman, being a married woman to mm -hmm. having children. Yeah. Like she incorporates every stage of her life into her music mm -hmm. like there's no huge disconnect that you can see with with some artists where they have different stages of their life but they have people that are writing their music for them and so they just sing the lyrics that are there but Beyonce yeah. I think she makes a very conscious effort to show the progression in her mu music even like you know when she got married then it became like um she's talked more about like her sexuality mm -hmm. and things like that and yeah. so that's been really cool to see yeah, I think that's like, I've had, a, I mean, I wouldn't say a similar experience, but I've listened to Destiny's Child. I used to like, it was kind of always a guilty pleasure of mine. Mm -hmm. um, even like, I remember that song, what is that? Uh, what's that song? Uh, you Must Not Know About Me. Yes. What yes. is that song called? Irreplaceable. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I was obsessed with that song. Like, it, like You had some feelings. <laughs> I did. Like. I can't remember the year that came out, but it was like, mm -hmm. that was one of my most played songs on iTunes. I know for sure mm -hmm. that year. And it was such a contrast from everything else that I listened to. Uh, but I loved like Soldier. I loved mm -hmm. like all those songs. Mm -hmm. Like I just, it was, even though it was a little bit outside of what I normally listen to for whatever reason, I just really gravitated towards her. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't say that I was like a super fan at all. Um, not really until like, I guess the self, like four self-titled mm -hmm. and then Lemonade. Mm -hmm really kind of sealed it for me. I would say mm -hmm. Lemonade specifically. Because um, for me, like, I always try to, well, I just naturally, I guess, like, view people from, like, historical mm -hmm. perspective. And Beyonce has used, I don't know if I would call it a formula, but essentially every artist that I really, really admire do the same thing. They get incredibly popular with more traditional pop music of this that era. Mm -hmm. And then once they've, they have a massive following, they flip it and they use their their voice and their platform to expand on the genre, to mm -hmm. innovate, 
to express things that haven't been expressed in that style before. Like Mm -hmm. Bob Dylan did the same thing. He got popular with folk music. They turned to electric and that was big controversy at the time, but it also pushed boundaries Mm -hmm. in that genre of music. You can say the same thing about the Beatles. They came in um, as essentially boy band pop music and Mm -hmm. then flipped that. Um, Radiohead did the same thing Mm -hmm. where they had, you know, there are the, the the grunge alternative rockers that then became this really experimental, innovative electronic music. So Beyonce to me has done that. She's, I would say the music has stayed relatively safe or just more, uh, it's not as experimental as mm-hmm. the people that I just named, but um, I would say just like Lemonade the Film, for instance, is such an innovation mm-hmm. uh, to the genre. And I really think it's unmatched in contemporary history all that is encompassed in this film um and to me that is like that gets my ultimate respect is someone that is Mm -hmm. willing to use their platform take risks and ultimately like expand boundaries uh kendrick lamar is another Mm -hmm. great example of that um and so that's kind of how i viewed beyonce that's really why i was interested in doing lemonade really Mm -hmm. since the, the day it premiered Unfortunately, it wasn't on Spotify (laughs) for a few years. So I was like, not that anyone told me not to do it, but I just didn't think it would make sense Mm -hmm. for a Spotify podcast to do to an album that's not on Spotify. Just logically didn't, you know, make a lot of sense. But the second it came on Spotify, it was the next season, hands down. Mm -hmm. It was so easy to to choose. You know Um, what else Beyonce has done? She has introduced the the surprise album. Yeah, no, yeah, um, for sure. And now folks think that they can do it, but <laughs> yeah. not everyone can do that because no, <laughs> Beyonce, rare. she's Beyonce, so she yeah. can say, "Oh, I'm coming out with an album today, and yeah. and it'll go platinum." Yeah, but then yeah. you know, a lot of people who are not Beyonce are trying that, and it's not working no, out definitely. so well. Yeah, she definitely innovated that. Yeah, um, and that utilized. I think she saw or team saw or whoever saw like it's yeah, it's way more exciting. Like now that every, information travels so fast, yeah. like especially with a Beyonce, it's it, rolling out an album for a month versus dropping it and getting everyone excited. And mm-hmm. it's hype. We were just talking mm-hmm. about like trying to get new Yeezys this morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the same thing. It's like, you're like sitting on your computer, like mm-hmm. the moment it comes out and you're trying to get it. And like, like people just love the hype and the mm-hmm. excitement and the rush of that. Yeah. So it's like, Oh shit, new Beyonce. Like that's, it's so genius that they kind of figured that out. Yeah. Um, I mean, this was years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I guess like um, we can talk a little bit about Lemonade specifically. Um, I guess I'm interested to to hear your kind of first experience with it. If you watched it on HBO that night um, or if you didn't, like what was your first experience? What was that whole Lemonade experience like in the beginning when it first came out? So um, I think I'm strange uh, when it comes to how I consume music because I like to wait till stuff dies down a little bit mm. so that I, I'm not influenced by, you know, all of the hype around it. So I, when it came out, I was like, okay, I know I have to see this, yeah. but I want to wait a little bit and mm. not be just a part, like feel like I'm a part of the hype. And so I waited and my sisters had watched it and they were just dying. Yeah. And so I think I waited like a couple weeks and even a couple weeks later, it was still like the biggest thing it was on the tip of everybody's tongue, but I watched it and I just thought, oh my gosh, this is unlike anything I've ever seen mm-hmm. in my life. It it almost made me feel like, you know, when, well, when did Michael Jackson's Thriller come out? Was I even born? But the first time I saw 
thriller and how it was kind of like this whole long story. Yeah. I thought that that was so, so good. And um, it felt kind of like that where I was like, this is, this is something that no one has done before. And it just really shows her, not just her, her vocal range and her, um, and her ability to act, which we know that she can do, but it also showed her vulnerability mm, yeah. and it really humanized Beyonce for me where before it was like Beyonce's untouchable. She's not someone that you feel like, you know, you can't be around because she seems like a fun person, yeah. but it, it was just like, wow, Beyonce really went through a lot. Yeah. And she's just like the rest of us. Like she showed a very, very soft and vulnerable side in, in Lemonade. So I thought it was really special. And it, it was kind of like how we were talking about with podcasting where you just feel like you know the person. And now I feel like I know her a lot better after Lemonade. Yeah, that was, I mean, that's kind of how we touched on in the, the intro of the season was like, <clears throat> there was the elevator video, which in retrospect just seems so trivial because mm -hmm. the way that she flipped that narrative and like was like, oh, you guys want it to be this like mm -hmm. stupid gossip thing. Mm -hmm. Like, here's what it actually is. Mm -hmm. Like, here's what my experience was and I'm going to share it to you in a very powerful and expressive way, but also be super vulnerable about, about it and then make make the people that were really trying to, to kind of spin that gossip wheel to just like look really insensitive and like just petty you know like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. these are kind of real you know i talk a lot about the show over the years about like having empathy generally speaking but all a lot of the time having empathy for these figures who we kind of put on these pedestals only to kind of like see them fall like we love right. to see as a public we love right. to see the we love to lift people up and we equally love mm -hmm. to like to tear them down mm -hmm. and i feel like the elevator video like beyonce was pretty flawless pun intended to like, <laughs> up until that point kind of i mean like there was here and there rumors but like that really solidified this moment where you could definitely see some people trying to like start that spin right and like it took her two years to do but like she came with lemonade and dismantled it completely Absolutely. you know um yeah, yeah it almost made you feel foolish like if you were trying to become a part of that yeah. like um like the rumors and trying to make it something way bigger than what it was and gossipy yeah. you made i think all those people look really silly <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i'm curious like um i would think our our experience of lemonade is probably a lot different i would say i i and this is me i guess there's probably two components here one i just look at things historically analytically mm -hmm. like what does this mean for music genres and you know those kind of questions but also like i am a white male from the suburbs mm -hmm. so like my experience of seeing lemonade i would think is much different than yours mm -hmm. so i'm wondering like what if you could touch on maybe that the like the, the, i guess the, the identity aspect of lemonade how you know black females are the they're featured throughout the entire thing obviously right. for the majority of the time um and just like i guess just i'm just curious about seeing that representation like what you thought about that yeah i think it was really powerful what she did with the entire all the visuals in lemonade um i think that um uh, of course it was deliberate showing um black women in uh, uh pre-civil war um attire and you know in slave quarters and things like that um i think to show the resilience of black women and that 
to kind of juxtapose these really beautiful black women and these really beautiful uh, in this really beautiful attire um, in front of a slave quarter to kind of show how even through a lot of pain that they can still survive and just to remind us of where we came from to be where we are now and the effects of slavery on us as a people. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that she wanted to show that the resilience that we have now in our day-to-day is something that is not new. It's not something that we um, are just learning. It's something that is kind of ingrained in us and in our in our DNA and in every fiber of us to, to persevere and to be strong um, and to come out on the other end uh, better than we were before and to pass that strength on generation to generation. Yeah. Um, I think that... Uh, one of the another major thing is uh, black pain and it's how it's perceived by uh, white culture or like the rest by the rest of the world. Because, I mean, there's been a lot of studies that have come out that have said that um, from lay people to people in the medical profession all perceive uh, uh, black people in general to have a higher tolerance for pain. Mm that they can endure more and that they think that it's just a part of who we are when really it's not a part of who we are. It is a, a, it is a, a product of our exposure to brutality. Mm. And uh, I think that that was something that she really shined a very bright light on where it's like we are not immune to pain we experience the same pain that everyone else does, um, but we have developed ways to get through it. And those are the things that we were taught by our mothers, our grandmothers, mm-hmm. our great-grandmothers, um, all the way back to um, our African ancestors that were um, enslaved and brought to the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. And she does that in a way, I'm just thinking about my own experience with it, mm-hmm. in a way that's both specific and universal, like I've learned so much through this album about <clears throat> other people's experiences, specifically black female, but also just like I've learned more about the history of slavery, the more about, you know, all the things that if you just do a re- re- little bit of research on all these illusions throughout the album, like mm-hmm. you're going to, this is really a blueprint for an education. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but also like, so that's like kind of the specific aspect, mm-hmm. but the universal aspect, like she did it in such a way that w- like, yeah, there is this kind of universal triumph of the human spirit almost, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, of course we can, we have to get specific about, about who it affected mm-hmm. um, and the types of people that it affected. But also like, I look at it, it's like this triumph of the human spirit, mm-hmm. you know, um, and the resilience of that. And so that's again, like why the film resonates so much with me mm-hmm. on a personal level, um, because there is all these, there's, yeah, she, it's like this dual, dual experience of mm-hmm. the specific and the universal that she I thought she did incredibly well. Up next, Titi and I talk about her experience visiting the sugar plantations in Louisiana. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. So yeah, I guess that kind of gets us into like why we're here um, in New Orleans. As we talk about on the episodes, Louisiana specifically is featured... I guess in the majority of the film, mm-hmm. 
um, I, would, I don't know a percentage, but it's it's pretty much almost all of it. So we are here to, I guess specifically, we traveled to the plantations of the Louisiana, the sugar plantations that run along the Mississippi River that are featured um, in Lemonade. So yesterday we went to uh, the Oak Valley Plantation, which is not featured in the Lemonade film, but it's um, it's essentially along the same path of uh, all these plantations lay out side by side, basically with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, we went to the Evergreen Plantation, which is featured in um, the uh, the slave quarters of uh, Lemonade. That's where they are filmed mostly. And then we went to Destrehan Plantation, which are where they climb, where they're uh, pictured in, uh, in the trees. There's some slave quarters there as well. Um, yeah, so we took some tours. We explored um, just the the sites, um, and yeah, I don't know. Like, I guess we can just get into like the experience of it. Um, I guess we can just just talk generally about just some of the feelings that you had um, when we first stepped onto the plantations. I don't think you've had been on a plantation before. So just kind of curious about what was kind of going through your mind as we were walking around. Yeah, it was really, for me, it was uh, really heavy because um, as a black person, you can't help but think about the hundreds or thousands of people who were enslaved on those plantations and the lives that were lost and the blood that was spilled and the tears that were cried and um, just all of the awful experiences. So walking in the slave quarters and just trying to imagine what that life is like was um, really sad. Um, at some of the places they well, at all, all the plantations, I, I think they try and list the names of all of the enslaved that yeah. were there. I think they try and be, they're trying, they try to be deliberate about how they refer to the enslaved as the enslaved, um, because I think now we've come to this new, this new stage when we talk about um, the history of slavery in America, where we don't refer to people as slaves, we refer to them as the enslaved, mm -hmm. so that it puts the it puts the onus on the yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the colonizer or the yeah, captors or, yeah, yeah. and uh, which I really appreciated that that those little things like that. Um, but um, I think taking the tours, all the tours were mostly white people. Mm -hmm. I think that that was interesting because you while I'm kind of trying to digest all of these things, I'm also listening to some of the stuff that they're saying. And um, we went into one slave quarter, which was like an actual slave quarter that had, um, that was still standing and that they try and uh, keep uh, all together so that people can experience it. And was, as soon as we walked in, one white woman said, oh, well, at least they had a fireplace. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, White guilt is real, and yeah. she really wanted to make it seem like, I guess in her mind, she feels guilty about slavery, and she wanted to make it seem like it wasn't that bad. But it was just, like, so frustrating because you're looking at this 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 home that at, any, that at some points of the year probably had about, what, they said upwards of 14 people living in it. Yeah. And it was, how big would you say that place was? It, wasn't very big. It's probably the size of a large bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, who cares if they had a fireplace? There's yeah. also, you know, 
the beatings, the whippings, yeah. the separation from their family, the nonstop working all year round. Yeah. But um, so those types of things were were frustrating. And it's just like when you think about the children who were born into that were born enslaved and then the children that they have and things like that, you you can absolutely see how it affects the the mindset of a people and how they view life mm. and how they um, view themselves. And um, it 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 puts into perspective like even present day, how black people move and shake in society and how and why we be why and I don't want to speak as you know the the voice of all yeah, black yeah. people or like black people are not a monolith, but it definitely makes sense why we feel the way that we feel about certain situations mm-hmm. and why we behave certain certain ways like with code switching yeah. and things like that why we do those things because it's just a part of us. And I think that that is another thing that Beyonce was trying to do with Lemonade. But it's not even just like a a social point where it's like um, philosophical where, Mm. oh, yeah, you would would think, you know, if your great-grandmother said this to your grandmother and it's passed down from generation to generation. But now there's actual science that is coming out that is showing that there is socio-environmental effects um, on the DNA level from generation to generation. So essentially what Beyonce is saying is also being um, supplemented with actual science to show it's what they're calling it in the scientific community is weathering. And they did this study that went over, went from like 1985 to 2016, where they studied um, people from multiple cities, um, white and black to see their, their biological age and then their um, their DNA age or mm. how how it affects their body and so how um, social environmental and then racial discrimination how it affects them and black people are upwards of six years older wow. than their white counterparts mm. and so when you think about that and you think about things like women when they have a child and we know that. In, when you get to your mid thirties, that's when it's like a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, risky, risky yeah. of a pregnancy. So imagine a, a black woman that is my age, thirty two, thinking about having a child, mm. and her body, because of this weathering effect, is mm. actually thirty eight. Yeah, yeah. So, the, so that's why we see that the mortality rate for black women who are having a baby is a lot higher than Mm. white women of the exact same age. And Mm. those things can be overlaid in in different categories. And so it's just, it's really phenomenal when you think about it. Yeah. I mean, Beyonce even touches on like infidelity is a, or not, um, uh, what word am I looking for? Not infidelity. Um, now I don't know the word. (laughs) Um, Infertility. Oh, oh miscarriage. Yeah, 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 infertility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So that, like, that's it's a, it's a topic that is woven throughout Lemonade, but has is never specifically, mm-hmm. kind of blatantly said. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you kind of dig into the details, it's there. Um, but no, I mean, all that is really interesting. Um, and again, that's a exactly why I love your perspective because you bring things to the table that I would never have known that scientific aspect. I mean, when I hear it, it makes 
sense, like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But to know that there is science now that is starting to show, prove these things we've kind of known or th- hypothesized or thought or mm-hmm. talked about are being shown on a scientific level is pretty fascinating. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the experience for me, I guess, like, it was definitely heavy. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, you know I, I obviously thought about the enslaved experience, but you also, uh, just being human, you can't ex- can't help but think about yourself, you know? And it's like, as you know, a, a, like a white male, like you, like I just kept picturing myself, what if I was born here, this mm-hmm. color, this, this gender, in this time period? Mm-hmm. Like, what would I be like? Mm-hmm. And I was like, part of you wants to say, no, I'd be that person that like, mm-hmm. I'd be going against the grain and uh-huh. I would be uh-huh. like, but then part of you is like, statistically that's not true actually like right, right it's like i think about that with like even when i think about like nazi germany and like right. what if i was born in that era as a german in nazi germany would mm-hmm. i be that small percentage that was rebelling or would i be like the 99 percent of the people that kind of even if they disagree they're going along with it because mm-hmm. they're f- feared for their life or whatever it was it's like those are the kinds of things that i was trying to grapple with and like and then it becomes this whole like, at least in my mind, it becomes this more like existential thing of like, who are you at the core? Like, mm. how much of your environment affects you? How you know, to what extent? Does, how long does you know, history, time, time and place? You know, parents, all that. Like, how does how does that all like kind of work into the fabric of who you are? And yeah, could would you be different, or would be the environment be so strong that you just kind of fell in line? Like, mm-hmm. um. And I still really haven't even, I'm kind of thinking this out loud as I'm talking, like I haven't really came to any conclusion about that, but that's Mm -hmm. kind of the things that was going along in my mind. And just, yeah, I guess like being victim of circumstance at some point, like the bad luck of being black in that era, like all that stuff was, I was just kind of thinking about that. Mm -hmm. There was some like really, like I teared up when I saw the, 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 the restraints for children, mm. like Jesus, that was like, yeah. that was a brutal moment. Because mm-hmm. I obviously have kids and you just can't mm-hmm. help but think of like, again, going that same train of thought, like what if my kid was black and born into this? Right. And right. then you're seeing them like putting restraints, those restraints were like two inches across. Right. So it's like they're for these like three-year-old children. It's mm-hmm. like Jesus. But yeah, so it was like heavy. And then there was like this whole, juxtaposition thing that was happening like there was these huge like so much of like there's all these status symbols of wealth that we kept seeing across all three plantations like all the big houses were these like just giant symbols of of wealth and and authority and it was like there's so much posturing because one of them was like from the outside looks very grand yeah and then when you got inside it was like really small and yeah. narrow and mm-hmm. like it was just such a weird contrast because i guess this apparently this owner didn't have as much money as some people did so it was like mm-hmm. he wanted that facade of of status and wealth but mm-hmm. it wasn't actually all the way there yeah but then it's like the obvious contrast of like the big houses to the slave quarters mm-hmm. and it was like that was such a visual you know just like just a, a very potent image of like the contrast between the experiences in this place and also like just even like the weather and the surroundings were so beautiful mm-hmm. open spaces these beautiful trees but then mm-hmm. it's like despite all that 
environmental beauty, you know, this place was just like living hell for some people. Honestly. And it was, yeah. Cause people, I think a lot of people, uh, loved the Virginia live oaks with the Spanish moss and they're very, uh, uh, quintessential Louisiana, I guess. And as I'm looking at them and I'm watching people kind of like taking pictures in front of them and smiling, I'm like, how many people were hung from these trees? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's really all I could think of when I was, when I, when I see the Spanish moss, cause it, it's so beautiful, but it's almost like the, the branches of the trees are like crying. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, it's just like a symbol of a lot of pain. Like even, even though it's it's beautiful, there's a lot of pain like in the in the roots of that tree, mm. and so it was it was really really uh, sobering. Yeah, and I think that's why those trees are like featured in Lemonade so prominently. I think they're this great representation of that. Really, what she's trying to convey, how she said, "bruised but beautiful." Like mm-hmm. it's like these are the those trees are witnesses. Basically, mm-hmm. they're like they're living witnesses of what happened here. Uh, and they kind of encompass both sides of the story. Um, you know, they persist on through time, but also they were, you know, places of great tragedy. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a number of those symbols that I feel like Beyonce and her team really thought about the landscape and kind of some of the objects of these times and really, I thought used them in very powerful and beautiful ways, um, really representative. And it was really cool to just be here. Yeah. Um, and just, I just thought that was kind of important for us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, like, um, I mean, I guess I approach each season as like a, as a uh, opportunity for education. You mm-hmm. know, like I don't know a lot about these artists or like not or this these specific albums. I kind of like know they're good. I know that they have some things like that are interesting, but like until you really follow each thread um you know you really can use great works of art like lemonade as like a blueprint for an education and like to me coming here was like one of the the biggest things we could do to like test that idea it's like Mm -hmm. okay what what happens if we actually go to these places that are featured that are so prominent um and what are the types of things that we can learn you know I don't know about you, but I probably would have never been here if it weren't for Lemonade, right? And Absolutely. it's like I wouldn't have had the experience that we had yesterday. But yeah, if you follow these threads enough, like they really offer, you know, a really great education to the things, at least definitely from my experience, that are so different from my experience, they can really at least help you understand the experience of someone else. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, did you have anything like anything else that came to mind yesterday as we were like walking through or anything that comes to mind? Um, I think I think one of the things that stood out to me was um, to go back to the Spanish moss of one of our tour guides. He was he was saying that Spanish moss doesn't like naturally grow on the live oaks. They're not a parasite. They're uh, shoot. I don't remember the word. So they're like a living breeze. I remember yeah, saying they're, like they're like in the living, air. Yeah, yeah. It's in the air, and then they attach to the trees, and then they grow from there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "What a beautiful metaphor for you know racism, where it is not something that is uh, growing from the tree of our culture, but it's in the air, mm-hmm. and it affects all of us. Yeah. 
And so I was like that. I thought it was like really poetic in in that moment. I was just like, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that Beyonce is really trying to do. I mean, the quote that we have talked about a lot, almost probably every episode, really, we quote, you know, the saying that she wanted to, to show the the ongoing effects mm-hmm. of slavery on black love, mm-hmm. black relationships, um, and just like the invisible thing that's just in the air, not mm-hmm. seen, but felt, um, that has very real consequences and effects, but not hard to put your finger on sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I think actually Trump is a great example of like Excellent. someone that is virtuosic, is a virtuosic racist. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He like knows exactly how to say something without mm-hmm. actually saying it, which right. I feel like is this great metaphor for like how racism kind of mm-hmm. works today. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, it's, it's a faux pas to say, well, I guess like generally speaking, it still obviously happens, but it's more of a faux pas to say something racist now, but it's like this weird reverse ver- version of code switching where mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. they have these code. This like there's a co- code definitely language. a code. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I didn't think about that metaphor, but it definitely makes sense. Um, yeah, I thought like the I didn't actually like even put together like all three tour uh, tour guides were white. Like, yeah. I only realized I, until you said it, but now that I think uh-huh. about it, that seems a little bit weird. I know maybe there's you know, black people that do them on other days, but yeah, <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe not. Exactly. But. but then there was also this one black woman who she worked at the plant at one of the plantations and she was kind of like doing kind of like a on the side little yeah, tour yeah, yeah. for that some people. Cool. And a, a white woman comes up and says, oh, are you the tour guide? She says, no, apparently I'm not qualified. Yeah, yeah. But she had also just previously, just prior to that had mentioned that her ancestors were from were enslaved on a plantation not too far from oh, right. there. I didn't hear that part. And so I could tell that she felt offended that she had to kind of like prove her qualifications oh, to be able to yeah. be a tour guide mm-hmm. um, when she is a direct descendant of the enslaved and white people get to give the tours. Um, yeah. So yeah, I was just like, I I feel you, girl. I feel, I feel your frustration and your anger in that. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to think now, like, yeah, how would the tour be different if it was led by someone who was black, like I felt like they did, there was a conscious effort to very clearly address the enslaved. I thought they mm-hmm. made it a point to do that, which I think we both appreciated, mm-hmm. but if it could have been a place from a place like that woman, mm-hmm. I think it would have came off more authentic and more, yeah, just more authentic. And I think it would be a, been a more powerful expression of what they're, they seem to be trying to express. Yeah. But it definitely wasn't as whitewashed as I was maybe assuming that it was going to be. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, I thought that the Destrehan tour was the most interesting because mm-hmm. the woman was like older. She was like dressed in the like plantation, the, the formal plantation yeah. garments. And um, she just had a theatrical mm-hmm. performance to her mm-hmm. presentation, which mm-hmm. was kind of entertaining. But I mean, she did mention like the 1811 slave revolt, which I was really wondering if they were going to mention that because mm-hmm. at the Destrehan, that's where they <clears throat> had the revolt or that's a large part of where it took place. And like that's where slaves, the once they were overthrown, the enslaved were decapitated and their heads were mm-hmm. strung along the Mississippi River as like a warning mm-hmm. to like future revolts. And like I was really interested to see if, because that's such a dark, I mean, I would say that's among the darkest. Definitely. You know. 
um, experiences and to hear her address it, I thought I was surprised that she did, but also appreciative that they are at least acknowledging mm -hmm. those, the brutality of it. Absolutely. Really. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, is there anything else you wanted to cover that we didn't cover? Mm, no, I think we're good. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. No, I mean, it's been, it's been amazing working on this show. I feel very lucky to have been given the opportunity. So thank you for trusting me to be able to do this. Cause I know your fans are very used to your voice and for better or for worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, having in, injecting my voice in there, um, six seasons in, um, I hope everybody enjoys the work that I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I hope that you were happy with the work I was able to do. Yeah. You're doing a great job. It's been, <laughs> I think it's been a great experience so far We're, I mean, we're not even halfway through the season, I don't think, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, I'm really excited to get keep keep progressing it and keep mm -hmm. working on it with you. It's been for me, it's been a great experience so far too, and I've been learning a lot from you. Um, and yeah, I think we're putting together something really good this season. So yeah, yeah. And shout out to Maggie. Uh, shout out to Maggie Lacey. <laughs> yeah, Maggie Huge Lacey. Shout out we to just, Maggie Lacey. <clears throat> at this point, we just brought her on about a month ago, and she's mm -hmm. helping writing uh, some scripts, and she's doing mm -hmm. an incredible job. Yeah. So definitely shout out to her. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Mike who put together some really great. Uh, analysis outlines for us to use. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been great to get, you know, Dissect started as just me and my my garage basically and just now to have each season I'm trying to grow and mm -hmm. do something different and having all these different voices, perspectives, mm -hmm. experiences all talking about the same work has mm -hmm. been really cool to kind of assimilate into these episodes and I yeah. think it's hopefully making the show more dynamic and better and yeah. not just me and, you know. Yeah, I never, so. I never thought that doing Dissect was easy. Like listening to it, I could tell how much work went into it. But being a part of it, it, it makes me realize like how much work mm. it is to do this show and how lucky we are to have you um, steering this ship and being able to consume your work. It's been I, I'm a huge fan of the show and will continue to be a huge fan of the show and really love the work that you do. It's really important. Yeah, appreciate that. And uh, shout out Dope Labs, everyone. If you're not <laughs> yeah. subscribed to Dope Labs yet, definitely subscribe uh, on Spotify or wherever you listen. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, well, I guess that's a good start place to end. We'll, we'll probably do another one of these towards the end of the season mm -hmm. just to kind of recap our experience. I don't know if we can go to Louisiana again, but... Um, Let's find yeah, an excuse <laughs> to yeah. come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? seriously. We have to, yeah. we have to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you. Thank you.